Engaging Leader Podcast. Today we're talking to author Dave Kirpin about how to lead a likable business. Does your leadership inspire trust, passion, and action? Welcome to the Engaging Leader Podcast with Jesse Leahy, consultant, writer, and speaker. Jesse has helped executives engage hundreds of thousands of people. Join us now for principles to communicate, engage, and lead with greater impact. Welcome to the show, leaders. I've shared before the quote from Seth Godin that advertising is the tax you pay for not being remarkable. But how do you make sure your business is remarkable, one worth talking about in a positive way? There are just too many examples of organizations that are mediocre, or worse, their people are doing things that cause customers to go on Twitter or Facebook or TripAdvisor and make negative remarks. So how do you make sure the team you lead creates a likable experience for customers? To help us answer that, our guest is Dave Kirpin. Dave is a speaker, New York Times bestselling author, CEO of Likeable Local, and chairman of Likeable Media, which has had triple-digit revenue growth for four consecutive years. His latest book is Likeable Business, Why Today's Consumers Demand More and How Leaders Can Deliver. Dave Kirpin, welcome to Engaging Leader. Thanks so much for having me. Dave, your first book was the New York Times bestseller, Likeable Social Media. What led you to write that book, and why was it such a hit when there are, it seems like, so many other available books about social media? Well, my reason for writing the book was that Likeable Media, our first company, was working with a lot of big companies and helping a lot of big companies leverage social media, but I wanted a way to help small businesses Uh, use and leverage social media because it is such a great equalizer, but there's so many small businesses that don't yet fully understand how to do it. And so I wrote the book and, you know, I can't say why it's been so successful, but I've certainly been very, very happy with the success. I think that, you know, one thing people have told me is that it's written in very simple language that while there are some interesting and, and, and new concepts in it, the language is simple enough that really anyone can understand it and process it. Uh, that night, I love I love to tell stories, so I think there are a lot of a lot of stories in it. I would agree. Just from reading your your latest book, Likeable Business, it's unusual in the world of business in that it's an actual page turner. I've with lots of it's it's great stories with lots of great ideas, and so I've discovered that I, I shouldn't read it at bedtime because I'll never fall asleep. I just keep going on and on. <laughs> well, thanks. That's a, that's a compliment I, I can <laughs> I can take. Thank you. You've become a pretty well known thought leader about social media. Why then did you turn the focus in your new book toward business leadership? You know, what happened was with the success of the first book and a lot of uh, speaking that I was doing, I found myself talking about these principles of likable social media that I had written about. Principles like listening, authenticity, transparency, um, gratefulness. And I realized that those principles of likable social media, the principles that make companies great in using social media aren't just principles of great social media, they're actually principles of great business in today's world. And it seemed to me that because of social media, because of the new world that we live in, it's more important than ever, not only to apply those principles to a Facebook page or a Twitter page, but to apply those principles to everything that you do in 
your business and in, in, in really in your life. And so I wrote the second book, Likeable Business, directed for leaders to sort of take things that maybe they take for granted, basic concepts, and apply them in new ways to how they run their businesses, how they manage their teams, how they communicate with their customers, with their employees, with their prospects, with their vendors, with the media. Because I think that increasingly, those things really do make a difference. You know, that's interesting for me personally, because it parallels my own journey. My background is in corporate communication. And there came a point at which I wanted to have a broader impact and was working with more and more business leaders. And it hit me one day that the principles that make you successful in communication, and especially leadership communication, are pretty much foundational to just smart business and smart leadership in general. And so for you to then say the same thing about social media is pretty compelling to me. Well, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me how common sense a lot of uh, social media and likable social media and frankly, a, lo- a lot of likable business is. But these common sense things are things that we often lose sight of in uh, the quest for better management, in the quest for, you know, shaving a couple dollars, uh, you know, off your expense line and adding a couple of dollars to your EBITDA line. Um, I think we often lose sight of some of these basic principles of communication and 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 that's that's really tragic. And so with with really both my books and and now when, whenever I speak as well, uh, I try to bring back those basic principles, those basic principles of being a likable leader, of being a likable person, because we've actually seen dramatic results from these things. You know, these aren't just principles. I, I talked to over two hundred CEOs of growing organizations for this last book. And, and, and they share their stories with me about how you know, being likable and applying these principles has actually impacted their business. One of the things I like that just caught me totally by surprise in the book is this wonderful mashed up metaphor you provide in the book about a cocktail party within a reality TV show. Will you explain that one for us? Sure. Well, you know, I, I actually, I actually uh, was on a reality TV show, uh, so, you know, ten years ago now, and so I got to experience uh, life in that reality TV world. <laughs> cameras were watching me everywhere, and uh, you know, I, I had twelve ca- twelve hundred cameras, Jesse, following my every move back on a Paradise Hotel on Fox ten years ago. I guess my argument is that even if you don't have twelve hundred cameras following you now, the world is just more transparent than ever before. You know, the world is, with each day that goes by, more and more resembling a reality TV show where, you know what, you, you, anything you do or say might be, might be captured on camera, might be captured by somebody with their smartphone. And uh, it's funny, my father-in-law said to me years ago, really before reality TV, before social media, just after I met him and was a, you know, an insp- aspiring leader myself, he was a judge. And he said to me, Dave, don't ever do anything that you wouldn't want uh, uh, to be on the front cover of the Daily News tomorrow. And I thought that was really valuable. And I would say that so my analogy about the reality show is, is, is just that. You know, if you, think of, if you think of yourself as being filmed, as being on a reality show, then you're going you're gonna to behave in ways that maybe you wouldn't if, 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 if you didn't think you were being filmed. Now, the cocktail party part is really refers to the fact that, you know, when people think about how they behave at a cocktail party, they, they want to be not only interesting, but interested. 
Mm-hmm. They want to not only tell great stories, but listen to great stories. And, and, and they realize that, you know, in order to be successful at a cocktail party, you know, you're there to have fun, you're there to tell stories, you're there to meet interesting people and, and, and find out interesting stories about other people. Well, if you think about sort of acting that way in your day-to-day life on that reality TV show and in, in your business, um, then I think you're going to be more successful than if you sort of go about with, with goals and, and trying to close deals and make sales. It seems to me that that, that those folks are often, um, are often less successful than the folks that just think about how can I build relationships with people? How can I help people? How can I have fun doing whatever I'm doing? Those are the sorts of things that you think about when you go to a cocktail party that I think you can really apply to a business and leadership. Yeah, you're right. And one of the things that I was just thinking about as you were talking is the difference between a cocktail party and maybe a little a more intimate gathering with people that you already know and how your focus then shifts. If you're at a cocktail party, you want to be interested and interesting. If you're at a more in, intimate gathering, one of the best intents that I've heard expressed is, I don't know who first expressed it, but Michael Hyatt is where I heard it from, where he says his goal at that kind of uh, occasion is to create a perfect moment for me and for everybody that if we if we all just have a perfect moment that that's about the best you can expect and that leads to when you think about how are you likable to customers and how do you help your team be likable to customers you talk about i think there's 10 foundations in your book and the one of them that i wanted to make sure we talked to some about is is surprise and delight and it sort of to me reminds me of creating a perfect moment for a customer who may just be one of thousands that you have, but you or your team is taking a, an extra effort to do something that makes a perfect moment for that person. What, what's one, a story from that chapter that you think uh, would be good to share? Well, let me tell you about uh, Boloco. Boloco is a Boston-based uh, restaurant chain. They're, act- they're actually expanding now uh, you know, up, up and down the East Coast. Um, and one thing that Boloco is really insistent upon is sur- surprising and delighting their customers. So if you have any issue with your order, they're going to go out of their way to surprise and delight you. Uh, I tell the story in, in, in the book about you know, a group of uh, college students that uh, put in an order and, and it didn't arrive right. And the, the CEO of, of the restaurant chain called himself and showed up with like 50 free burritos uh, the next hour um, and, and really made an impact. And he realized from, from that and other, uh, other um, experiences that the surprise and delight was so valuable that he ended up doing free burrito day as a staple promotion for, for the restaurant chain. And, you know, unlike other, you know, restaurants where, you know, it's like, yeah, free burger, but you got to buy fries and a drink in order to get the free burger. <laughs> <laughs> the, the free burrito day is, is just that. Any single person uh, can walk up and get a free burrito, no strings attached. You don't have to buy anything else at all. And that's led to, that's led to just uh, massive lines whenever they have free burrito day. But then an unbelievable uh, result, you know, according to the Dartmouth School of Business a study, was that every time they did a free burrito day, it led to 10% sales lifts for the next three months. Isn't that so, amazing? You know, by surprising, delighting customers with free stuff, with no strings attached, they actually saw great, great business results. Um, one of the other things I talk about when I, when I talk about surprise and delight 
again, relating it back to, to social media, Jesse, is, you know, it's always been a great principle of business to surprise and delight a customer. But before, if you surprised and delighted me as one customer, I, I might I might tell, you know, I don't know, tell a couple friends, tell, tell my wife, um, mention it to, you know, my colleague at work. Well, now, if you surprise and delight me today, I'm going to share that on Twitter with tens of thousands of people. I'm going to share that on Facebook with 5,000 friends. I'm going to share that on LinkedIn with 125,000 followers. So the ability to surprise and delight customers that may, in fact, have some influence in social media is just, you know, the, the impact that you can have by surprising and delighting just one or two customers is, is tremendous. So you're being remarkable, creating something that people want to remark on, and it's basically connects with a, a customer one-to-one, -one, but with the power of social media, that just the, the ripple effect goes on and on. That, that's right. That's right. And so, you know, you can't give away free burritos every day, and you can't always give free burritos away to every single customer. But my point is, if you, if you do surprise and delight folks, um, I, like to, I liken it to the you know, variable. Uh, I, when I studied psychology, there was this variable rewards mentality that we learned about. It's like, uh, like this, it's the mentality that, that casinos use with slot machines, right? At any given point, there's one slot machine that's going off somewhere in the casino. And that reminds everybody to keep playing because you see that one slot machine's going off. If you're able to surprise and delight with enough frequency that they're going to spread the word to others and everyone's going to be talking about it, well, then, you know, you don't have to give away free burritos every day to every customer to have the intended effect of everybody talking about their free burrito. Now, like a lot of the foundations that you discuss in the book, if you start with trying to apply that principle just to customers, it, it may not really be authentic, I guess, as a value of, of your organization. And so you, you talk in this chapter about surprise and delight, about surprising and delighting your team members too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, if th th there's really two huge sets of people that I talk about in Likeable Business and for leaders to think about. And one is certainly your customer and your customer base, but the other is your employees, your team members, the people that actually make things happen. And I am a huge proponent of taking care of them, of keeping them motivated, of giving them lots of exciting things and building a culture, a great team culture with, with your team members. And yeah, one thing that we believe in is um, a surprise and delight as well. So, you know, I'm always doing random, random things to surprise and delight my uh, team members. Like right now, for instance, I'm doing this live interview and there's like, I can see 30 people uh, in front of us. And you know what, Meg, why don't we buy everybody lunch today? Yeah, just, just buy them lunch today. Wouldn't that be cool? All right. So I'm seeing lots of thumbs up. There are a bunch of people on phone, on phone calls, Jesse. So I can't, uh, we can't scream or anything, but, but lunch is on me, team. So it's the, the story that I tell in... Um, in the book, the, the, the point where I really started getting surprise and delight with, uh, with my team was three years ago, my wife, we were at home and my wife was, who's my business partner as well, uh, was like, Dave, you got to watch this. This is uh, Oprah's uh, favorite things episode. It's so good. And that was back when Oprah was on the air. And I, I, you know, I'm a huge fan of Oprah as a, as a sort of business leader, but I, I, I wasn't a big, you know, I, I, I wasn't a big, uh, 
watcher of her show. So, but I sat down with my wife and I watched this favorite things episode where basically Oprah like just gives away like all of her favorite things to the people in her audience and they just like freak out and go crazy and it's just it's really good television and <laughs> it's fun watching so i said carrie after watching that i said carrie we gotta we gotta figure out a way to do this we gotta do this for our staff so and we we, we likable media has grown you know triple digit growth uh, you know every year for the last you know four or five years we've been really really fortunate to grow and so obviously we were able to to reward our team and and, and whatnot and so uh, at the holiday party, three, I guess it's three and a half years ago now, um, maybe three years ago, I set up a PowerPoint, 50 things you need to know going into 2000, uh, uh, I think it was 2011, 50, cause it was probably a holiday, 2010, 50 things you need to go going into 2011. And so I gathered everyone into the room, uh, making them think they were going to have to sit through this PowerPoint <laughs> in, in the second <laughs> slot. It was I it was my head over uh, over Oprah's picture, and I announced Dave's favorite things, and we had music, and we ended up giving away, you know, Dunkin' Donuts gift cards, and orange shoes, and Facebook swag, and a bunch of other stuff. And then the grand prize was we, uh, we, you know, as Oprah I think would do or, or did do at one point, is we gave away a cruise to the Bahamas, and our whole company went on a seven day cruise to the Bahamas, and you know, obviously that was not uh, inexpensive, but you know, the, the ability to to reward team members with something sort of that cool and fun, uh, not only you know made everybody feel good, but but I think there was a there was a real business impact, and you know more people have stayed with our company because they feel like it's part of their family and it's it's part of their culture, and you know we won uh, Crane's you know best places to work in New York. I'm sure because of things like that and that just it continues to attract great talent. And so I think there's so many great advantages and outcomes from something like that. You know, even though it may it, on, on the outset, it may look a little costly and a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's an amazing story. When I was reading in the in the book, I was wondering whether you were giving those those gifts to everybody present or just was it one person got the orange shoes and another person got the swag. So it sounds like you gave them all to everybody, including the Bahamas trip. You took them all to the Bahamas. Was that just the the staff, or did they get? Could they take a significant other with them too? Just the staff, and we 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 fortunately have a young staff, and so we didn't. There was only a couple people that had to sort of leave a significant other. <laughs> so the other interesting thing is it was the whole staff that got everything. But as our team has continued to grow and sort of you know get bigger and bigger each year, it has gotten more and more challenging. And um, you know, we, we do con we have continued the tradition of Dave's favorite things. Although, of course, it's less of a surprise now. Every year, I try to I try to play it down and say that yeah, we didn't make our numbers this year, or I, we can't do it this year. I, I don't think anyone believes me anymore. Um, but uh, yeah, two years. So three years ago, we did the cruise was the grand prize, and two years ago, a trip to Miami was the grand prize because we had more people. And then this past year, we had even more people, so we had to. Our, the, the prize was a trip to Atlantic City, so it's you know still fun, but not necessarily a cruise to the Bahamas as we have more and more staff people, and you know it, it gets uh, more challenging to to pull off uh, economically. <laughs> next year it'll be a trip to the Bronx. Exactly. Next year it'll be a trip to park across the street. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we we don't tell anyone, but we're talking to sponsors uh, so that we can we can pull off amazing trips and and uh, and have them funded now too, which would be very cool. Yeah, that is, that is very cool. So obviously, as as a team gets larger, you might have to look for ways to be more scalable. 
Exactly. And, you know, look, one of the one of the things that uh, that I admit in the book with a lot of these principles is, you know, the larger your organization, the more challenging this is. Um, I, I, I readily I realize that these things, you know, are much easier to pull off with a team of 10 or 20 or 30 or 50 or even 100 than with a team of 10,000. But, you know, my, my belief is that every team of 10,000 still has sub, subgroups of, of those smaller numbers. And as you can start to integrate some of these principles into the subgroups and into the smaller teams and, and start to demonstrate some ROI and, and, and some real business results from these, then you can make the case to integrate them more fully into even larger organizations. Another foundation in your book that I wanted to make sure we talked about is simplicity, because I don't hear very many thought leaders talking about that. And you provide both some great stories and some great data as far as an argument for simplicity in the chapter. For example, this Harvard University student who did an experiment to uh, determine if the simplest explanation for a cause would be chosen over a more complex explanations. And you might say, well, yeah, that would probably win out. But what surprised me was that subjects preferred the simpler explanation 100% of the time. So it, it's not even just a preference. It was, a, as you said, that human beings crave simplicity. We really do. And, you know, uh, as business leaders, we get so we, – we, we, this is one we often take for granted because, you know, we get so caught up in the features and benefits and new products and new things that we're doing and ways to add new revenue lines and ways to, you know, sort of make things more complex when the reality is, in many cases, uh, if, you can do, if, you can, if you can get something to its simplest form and function – it's going to be most effective, both the product and the explanation of the product. More important, uh, I, I can't tell you how many times people pitch me, and I'm, you know, ten minutes in, I'm like, what? I don't even understand this. What is this? Just explain it in in one phrase. And you know, actually, the the, the big, the biggest, the best thing to happen to me from uh, studying simplicity. I, I, I'd like to think I've done a pretty good job of, of, of integrating it into our businesses, but you know, frankly, I think I could do a lot better. The, the, the best outcome for me is, has been in my writing, and um, I write a lot. I write for LinkedIn, uh, write for Inc., and I've, I've learned that the, the better, you know, the, the more simple I can, simply I can write something, the better the result is going to be. Almost again, almost a hundred percent of the time, because. People don't want to read complex jargon. People don't want to read complex language. They want to understand in, in the simplest terms. And, and so you know, the, the ability to practice becoming a, a, a more uh, straightforward and clear and concise writer has helped me become a, uh, a better thinker and a better leader for sure. You provide so many different great stories in that chapter, uh, Apple and Google and BlackBerry. What's, a, what's your favorite story to tell? about that topic well apple apple is, is is of course the sort of the most famous example of simplicity i i believe but because so i mean people know it um let me tell you about a company called uh, buffer um buffer is 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 a company that does one thing they schedule your tweets mm-hmm. for you in a in a social media world that has now Dozens and dozens of companies and software doing um, 
doing things for people, including, frankly, my own, like of a local. Um, Buffer has had dramatic, dramatic growth um, despite the fact that they have refused to add any new features to their product, Jesse. Mm -hmm. They are what they are. They are a scheduler, and that has worked really, really well for them because people understand what they do. Um, oftentimes don't need more and, you know, they're serving a, a, a really good function. And so, you know, I'm a, I'm a buffer customer myself. I spend 10 bucks a month. I can easily schedule my tweets in advance and, and then I don't have to worry about, about tweeting all day. And yet the world thinks I'm tweeting all day. And, uh, it's, it's actually been great for me as a user. I'm, a, I'm a big fan. And so I love what they're doing and I really tip my cap to their ability to say no to adding new things. I think that one of the challenges as leaders that we have is, is can we say no? And what can we say no to? And Buffer's done a really good job of keeping things simple and saying no to the many opportunities to make their, uh, to add features and, and benefits and to make their product more complex. I agree, our team uses Buffer too, because just as an example, I tend to do all my reading in, in batches. I'll read for a couple hours and I'll think of, I'll see all these great things I want to share. But if I tweeted that all out at once, I would just annoy people. So Buffer allows those things to be shared in, in, in bite-sized chunks the way people really do want to receive those. And we've used Buffer for about maybe two years now and have temporarily, we shifted over to different products like Hootsuite, but we've always come pretty quickly come back to Buffer because of that. It just, it does what it does so well and it isn't overburdened by complexity as you're, just as you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. And, uh, uh, that's the thing is that so many folks are tempted to go in the direction of adding more and more and more. And yet often, you know, more is less, you know, if you can, if you can really just figure out what you're best at, What's that one thing that you are the best in the world at? And focus on that one thing, you're going to be so much better off than if you're trying to do a lot of things and you end up doing none of them, you know, super, super well. Yeah, and I love the quote that you share from Milton Glaser, less isn't more, which is, I say a lot, less is more, but the quote says, less isn't more, just enough is more. I love that. Exactly. I love that quote too. It, it, it reminds us that just enough is just that. <laughs> just enough is enough. And why do we always want more when really enough, by definition, is enough? Yeah. Well, in our last few minutes together, let's talk about what I know is your favorite topic in the book, and that is gratefulness. Yes. In Likeable Social Media, I talked about the power of saying thank you in uh, – in social media because so many brands actually don't respond to customers' complaints and certainly they don't respond to customers' compliments. Uh, an astounding 60% of brands don't respond to customers on Facebook and Twitter. Um, and so I wrote about the power of saying thank you and just acknowledging that, that you're getting a comment in, in likable social media. And then I got into more into exploring gratitude more in, in likable business and I met uh, one of my good friends uh, now is a former CEO of restaurant.com. His name is Carrie Chesick. He now has a company actually called Positivity and does uh, happiness and positivity coaching. Well, well, Carrie uh, really shared with me the activity that, that he started every single morning with, which was writing down 
five things that he's grateful for and, and, and how powerful that, that, that gratitude is. And then uh, I talked to a nonprofit called Donors Choose that um, had actually done an experiment with handwritten thank you cards where they had sent handwritten thank you cards to a test group and sent email thank yous to a control group. Donors Choose actually found that the folks that got the handwritten thank you cards were actually 38% more likely to donate a second time. And when they donated, they actually gave more on average. And so after learning of this, this awesome data from Donors Choose, and after hearing about my friend Carrie and his morning uh, routine, I actually began myself a morning routine that has absolutely changed my life of writing thank you cards. And, and so I, I started by writing one thank you card a week, and then I moved to writing one thank you card a day. And now I write three thank you cards every morning. Uh, I write them to staff people. I write them to vendors. I write them to customers. I write them to media partners. I write them to folks in my personal life. And the amazing thing is actually twofold. First, there's definitely a business impact when folks receive these thank you cards because they know uh, in, a, in a digital world, uh, I went out of my way to, to take the time to, to write them. And so I get this great, this great uh, feedback you know, from folks that after they receive the thank you cards and really feel appreciated. But the other amazing thing that I didn't even really expect, but I guess that, that Carrie had, had, had told me about, was that as I write the thank you cards, even if those thank you cards never got mailed, even if they never got sent, they put me in an amazing mindset mm -hmm. for my day. Me feel great. You know, it's actually a physiological, it's physiologically impossible to feel both angry or sad and grateful at the same time. It's physiological impossible. Impossible. So, you know, no matter what mood I'm in, as I write my thank you cards, it puts me in a great mood and it makes me, it prepares me to have a great day as a leader every single day. You definitely convinced me in that chapter with the data that you show about how it really does add to the bottom line. And secondly, the, that part that most people don't even think of is how the psychological benefits that you get, the, the feelings of personal happiness, obviously the difference you can make in other people's lives and just that mindset that it puts you into. And then also just I think how it, it sort of greases the wheel in a lot of upcoming circumstances in life. I can recall a time I wrote a thank you note to somebody, which I don't do nearly enough, but I did happen to write a thank you note. And then like three months later, a problem came up that was definitely not fully my fault, but I did contribute to the problem a little bit. But because the I had written a thank you note, the person who was sort of the brunt of the problem gave me the benefit of the doubt that I was a decent human being. And, and so she actually had a, a reasonable conversation with me. And so I can, it, it, which never would have happened if, if that little human connection, that, that gratefulness hadn't been expressed and, and kind of built that bond between us. Yeah. It's those positive relationships that will drive success in business and success in life. Well, the book is Likeable Business, Why Today's Consumers Demand More and How Leaders Can Deliver. We've been discussing three ways to lead a likable business, but there are a lot more stories and great ideas in the book, so I encourage everyone to check it out. Dave Kirpin, thank you for joining us on Engaging Leader. Thank you so much for having me, Jess. Experience. Uh, one of my core values in the book that I do talk about that we didn't talk about today is responsiveness. And so if anyone has any questions, I get thousands of tweets and emails every week. 
but please do feel free. I respond to every single one, so please feel free to me anytime at Dave Kirpin, or you can even go old school and email me, dave at likable.com. If you go to our show notes for this episode at engagingleader.com, we'll provide links to Dave's books, his articles on LinkedIn and Inc., and his two companies, Likeable Media, which provides social media marketing for large businesses, and Likeable Local, which is a solution for small businesses. Speaking of being grateful, thank you so much for people who helped get the word out about Engaging Leader by writing a review on iTunes, like Maxwell28 recently did, or by liking us on Facebook, like Wayne Therese, Jill Usteroff, Sophia Tran, and Michael Wood recently did. Also, we now have over 2,000 followers on Twitter, and you all do a ton of sharing, and I'm very grateful for that. Engaging Leader is a production of Aspendale Communications, a consulting firm where my colleagues and I partner with mid-size and large employers to attract top talent, engage employees, and deliver superior business results. Find out more at AspendaleCommunications.com. Our thanks to Joe Sherwood, our producer, Tom Hitchcock, our programming director, James Marler, our sound engineer, Cliff Ravenscraft, our podcasting advisor, Dustin Hartzler, our website engineer, J.J. Leahy, our video and web intern, Rick Tarrant, our announcer, and Christopher Steele, who composed our theme music. Until next time, remember, whether you realize it or not, you are always communicating and leading. Let's make the most of our opportunities to engage the people we care about.